What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 146. On this wonderful Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. Week 5 already of the college football season. Moving right through Oklahoma TCU this weekend as the Sooners try to pick up the pieces after losing to Kansas State last weekend. Josh Calvin, Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover and Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Excited to go down to DFW two weekends in a row? Two weekends in a row. I'm trying to figure out if Jaron Kanick is going to lead the team in tackles or not get any defensive snaps or <laughs> maybe something in between. But it, it doesn't matter who they're playing, John. Faceless opponent, nameless opponent, that man is a football robot. I, uh, I'm i happy to crash with my sister the next two weekends, so I don't think she's happy about it, but I'm very happy. So, <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, obviously, OU Texas game is, is you know, one of a kind, and we'll talk about that a lot next week. But, uh, yeah, this weekend is fascinating because i don't know what tcu is and i don't really know what oklahoma is anymore so uh pretty much anything could happen this weekend and i would kind of believe it so uh looking forward to seeing what the heck happens on saturday oklahoma and tcu saturday morning at 11 in fort worth we'll all be there making the trip down there am and g carter stadium home of the armed forces bowl a historic venue in college football history looking forward to uh Seeing that uh, action on on Saturday down in Fort Worth should be a beautiful day. The high is like eighty. I'm excited for that. So should be really really nice college football Saturday on what is October first. So looking forward to that. Uh, coming up, we'll talk a lot about that game. Obviously, here coming up in just a little bit. Do want to start as we usually do, putting the finishing touches on last week's game before turning the page. Oklahoma Kansas State. We talked about it. You know, post game. It was rough. It was a disaster, especially on the defensive side. Um, Dylan Gabriel didn't play as well as he could. Defense obviously struggled a lot. But there was some. It was funny because I felt like we said numerous times in the post game, specifically, it's not Dylan Gabriel's fault they lost this game, but he could have played a lot better. And then like five comments were like that. We just blamed Dylan Gabriel. It was like that's that's not what we said at all. Actually, he just could play better. I think anybody who watched that game could say that. Doesn't mean it was his fault they lost, but anybody could say that who watched that game. That being all said, it was, a, like we said at the time, a team loss. You know, a lot of areas need to improve if they're going to stack wins as the season goes on. Now that you guys have had time to watch it back, kind of let it wash over you the last few days, what are some thoughts on, on Kansas State? Uh, what happened on Saturday? Well, let's start with Dylan Gabriel. Dylan said on Saturday night, I didn't play good enough to win. Dylan said on Tuesday night, uh, I, I could have played a lot better. Let's be honest. Did he play good enough for Oklahoma to win? Uh, let me check. Got my notes here. No, he didn't because Oklahoma didn't win. He hit. He could have hit a couple of more passes. He could have hit that fourth down conversion. He could have done a lot of things that were better that helped Oklahoma win. I'm tired of this this conversation. Dylan Gabriel did enough to help us win. He did enough to help you win. The the final score of the game was. Uh, Kansas State 41, Oklahoma 34. They did not win. He knows he could have played better. Everybody knows he could have played better. Nobody's piling on the kid. Nobody's rooting against the kid. It's it's a silly conversation, and it's a silly narrative to say, don't blame Dylan Gabriel. Everybody shares blame in this. Everybody. Now, is there more percentage of blame on the defense? Yes, a 1,000% more, more blame on the defense right. for missing all those tackles, for not generating pass rush, for not getting off blocks, for not being physical at the point of attack, for getting run over by quarterbacks in fourth and short and third and short 
situations where the pot, the pile, they, he would hit the sticks and lean forward for the first down. That happened two times. So there's a lot of areas that the defense could have played better. But you can't just say, well, he threw for 330 yards. <clears throat> he threw for uh, 330 yards, including a, a over well over 100 in the fourth quarter when they were behind by 14 because the offense couldn't stay on the field. Everybody shares blame in this thing. Yeah, I think the defensive performance, going back and watching it, it's even worse. Like, it, Kansas State could have done anything they want. It didn't matter what the play call was. Um, we could have gone in and called offense in the fourth quarter, and it we could have drawn up plays in the huddle, and Kansas State would have executed because that was a defense that, over the course of 60 minutes, lost all belief, all faith. Uh, the technique was out the window from, like, the first quarter on, the second they allowed that that second touchdown drive. So I think that's why, and we'll get into it this week, you, you haven't hear, heard a lot of like answers, things like that. It's leaning on the culture. It's leaning on, hey, we've done this before, Burt Renables talked about, and he talked about splicing. Okay, here's a play that you no one executed on Saturday. Now let's put up a play that everyone executed the exact same play call against Nebraska to show like, yes, you can do this because this is a, a team that, showed all of the mental and emotional damage of the OU defenses that have been a joke the last decade. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because it's like more as, as we've peeled back the last few days and, and moved away from it and not that initial reaction of having just seen it play out on, on Saturday. I feel like more so where it's just kind of, I don't know the right word, it, it's more, I, I, I could see, I believe that in terms of they lost. I mean, they got beat. They got beat by a good team. Uh, Braden Willis said on his you know, podcast on the Prairie, which we've referenced before on this show, how a lot of the guys never played K-State before. And he felt like during the weekend prep preparation that he wasn't sure if K-State was getting enough respect from the guys who were new to Oklahoma going in. He wishes he had talked more about that and wish he had stepped up and been more vocal about that. And the reality is that Kansas State is, is before we the season started – we all said is one of the best teams in this conference and a chance to be a real problem for OU in week four. I think we had the question, what's the hardest game on the schedule? And Ryan and I both said Kansas State. That that so it totally makes sense that they got beat. And you know, the kind of the reaction of sky is falling, Brent Venables is he the guy type of thing. It, it's the fourth game. You know, I mean to to guarantee you know guarantee me gas Brent after the game on Saturday. Is this going to take some time? Brent didn't really want to hear that, but I, I think that's totally valid. It, it's going to take some time. I, I think that the idea, and I know I picked them to be to go undefeated this year, but the idea that you know they were going to come in and it was going to be smooth sailing the entire way, not really realistic. You know what I mean? So this was a good team they played, and they got beat. And college football teams lose games. You know how many teams go undefeated each year? Not very many. One, maybe two. Teams lose games. It happens. So the the sky is falling. You know, I feel like as we've gotten away from it, it's been a little more. Yeah, they they got beat. They lost to a good team, you know. And now, what do you? How do you respond to it? Is really the bigger question. Kind of like Brent was saying uh, after the game on on uh, Saturday night, and that's where you know we'll look ahead to TCU here coming up in just a little bit. So, it was at Kansas State. It, it's we've seen this story a jillion times for OU. This early season loss, fourth, fifth, sixth game somewhere in there, and OU. A lot of people write OU off. They plummet down the rankings. Even though everything is still out in front of them, they did just absolutely tumble. They're 18 in the AP poll now. That's as big of a drop as I can ever remember. 12 spots in the AP poll. They're behind Baylor and OSU in the conference. Kansas State snuck in at 25. 
I guess it goes without saying at this point that everything is still in front of what this team wants to do. I mean, the Big 12 is is a mess. It's extremely deep. Anybody can beat anybody. And, you know, it's it's four games in. There's still so much football to be played. I don't think that it's full-blown push the panic button. This team is going to be a disaster, you know, seven and five, six and six, at least not yet. Do you guys agree with that? Well, I did get a question on Twitter today. When's the last time they lost three in a row? I'm like, wait a minute. They haven't even lost two in a row yet. What are you talking about? But, yeah, it was 1998. They lost five straight. Um, I think what you're seeing in the AP poll is an overcorrection for what was an overcorrection to begin with. There's a lot of voters right now who feel good about their poll saying, see, I told you. I told you Oklahoma wasn't any good. I told you this Brent Venables thing wasn't going to work. I knew it from the very beginning. I just ranked them high because they were 3-0 and and they won on the road. That's the only reason I ranked them high. That's what people are doing right now. Now, they're not going to admit it. Voters are not going to admit it. I used to be one. We're not going to admit it. We're going to take this professional analytical approach. But the reason that Oklahoma fell so far in the poll is that overcorrection. I knew it. I knew it. I told you guys. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I expect a big response from them this week because, frankly, what we've seen and heard from the players, I know it's different, the message from Brent Venables, different from the position coaches, different behind the scenes. This sounds like the same with Oklahoma team. They played three good games, and then they got high on their own supply and got run over by a Kansas State team they didn't respect, and now you're hearing that they needed a wake-up call in week four, all that stuff. It's uh, – this sounds like, hey, the Brent Venables talked about it, that that culture doesn't happen overnight. Uh, there's a lot of guys who have been in that locker room for a long time and use these same excuses to like basically justify their uh, dumb losses over the years. I think that Brent Venables has a little bit more ways to go to kind of stamp that out, and I think you're boring that out. You see that in the polls, that uh, they've got a ways to go before they kind of stamp out that attitude and how people are going to view them nationally. You know what I love, though? is Brent coming out saying uh, the, the rat poison, which we heard on Monday night after the game. And uh, it was brought up to him on Tuesday morning at the press conference. Uh, not Monday night after the game, Monday night after practice, sorry. And, you know, guys are like, we, we can't believe the media. We can't believe the hype. We can't believe the fans. Brent was like, uh, rat poison, huh? That's an interesting term. He doesn't, he's not buying it. He's like, stop making excuses for why you sucked the other night. You sucked because you sucked. You didn't suck because uh, somebody told you you were 3-0 and and number six in the country. That's impressive. That's an impressive stance. Like Nick Saban is the guy who gets the, the rat poison, flies the banner, right? Uh, he's the one that talk, comes out and talks about it. Nick Saban's methods are tried and true. You cannot dispute what Nick Saban does. And yet here's Brent Venable saying, what is that supposed to mean? Rat poison? That has nothing to do with how we played mm-hmm. on Saturday night. I love that approach from Brent Venables. Yeah, it's it's exactly you know because that, that's that's really the question that I think all OU fans are having, and this is a rough week, you know, for OU fans because, like, just what you're saying with the overcorrection, this is that the national media and the fans across the country who basically said that OU would shrivel into Nebraska land once Lincoln Riley left, they were wrong for a few weeks. And now they feel like they've been validated. And so that's – and there's not anything that OU fans can really even say right now. You kind of just have to take it and hope that it turns around. Um, but, yeah, for Brent Venables to you know, kind of – he has not made one even remote excuse. Uh, you know, we, he's been asked questions after the game. I think it was Barry Trammell asked him, you know, what, why did – K-State didn't move the ball against Tulane at all. What was the deal? And he kind of said, like, you know, they were much simpler last weekend. But he, he quickly moved past that, you know, like – 
you just he's been very consistent in that we got thumped and we have to be better and you know we'll find out if we are basically and it's also been very consistent on staying with what their approach is not not a full-blown panic overhaul said hey we strip it down to the studs every week anyway we're gonna do that again Dylan Gabriel said I'm gonna continue to be myself blah, blah blah so that's kind of been the theme of the entire week in my opinion was been a lot of we're gonna try and just do the same but we're gonna try and do it better basically and we'll see how that you know shakes out but I don't know I mean do you guys feel like it was more of a mentality issue or is it more just Kansas State's better? If they play again this week, would it be different? I guess this is really the question. Or later in the yeah. year. Uh, Ryan, didn't you say if they played six or seven times or if they played ten times, Oklahoma would win six or seven? I think that's probably right. Um, I think Oklahoma has better athletes. Um, the, the program speaks for itself at some point. But when you're when you're, when you're stuck in the trench with the guy across from you, are you going to win your assignment? Are you going to beat him that day, that play? And Oklahoma too many times on Saturday night did not do that. And and that's what it came down to. I think Oklahoma is the better team. I don't think Oklahoma would have lost 17-10 to Tulane. Let me ask you a question. We, we prop Chris Kleiman up pretty high on this show and his staff. How do you lose at home 17-10 to Tulane and then go on the road and beat Oklahoma? Question is, or I guess the answer is, you overlooked Tulane. You didn't prepare for Tulane. You spent time all all offseason and all preseason on Oklahoma, and then you probably spent time during the week of Tulane prep prepping for Oklahoma. So I could see where you would drop that game if you didn't actually – I am not. I don't have any inside information here. I'm trying to draw conclusions and connect dots. Right. So uh, if you're a K-State fan and you're watching this and you were in the meeting room and you know that they prepared just as hard for Tulane – as they did for Oklahoma, then my apologies to you. If you're not, then you're probably with me. That how did this happen? Well, let's connect these dots and see. They didn't. They didn't prep for Tulane. They weren't prepared for Tulane like they were for Oklahoma. And that's the week after that they obviously bludgeoned Missouri by thirty. So it it it's sandwiched. That Tulane loss is going to look weird and weirder as we go. I think. Well, I think it just speaks to like guys. I'm sorry, AJ Martinez is not a good quarterback even after a five-touchdown performance. When you look right. at it against Tulane, uh, Kansas State was 4 of 20 combined on third and fourth downs, and that's an indictment on what Oklahoma did on third and fourth downs, right? Kansas State got every major – I know the numbers were like 8 of eight of 17, 8 of 18 um, combined, but it felt like every time there was a key third down, one that really mattered, not only did Kansas State get it, but Kansas State also got it and moved another 30 yards down the field. And that is a – mentality that's a Brittman was talked about that he saw a defense that was second guessing themselves on their heels guess what there's one team in the country or in this conference that you can't be playing defense on your heels or you will just get blown off the football and it's that Kansas State team there's no glitz glamour yeah. sex appeal about it that is just if you're on your heels guess what you're gonna get picked up and driven 10 yards off the ball so you had all that. That's what makes this so hard, I think, for Oklahoma when you look at it. Because if you're a glass half empty guy, it's the defense is done, it's toasted. Nebraska was just awful. Forget about it. If you're glass half full, it's oh my gosh, you lost by seven points and you gave up a key kickoff return to Malik Knowles. You couldn't stop a nosebleed. You had all these penalties, and you feel like oh, the penalties, the overthrows, all that is self inflicted. 
but it's the same self-inflicted stuff we saw through the first two weeks. The false start thing was there in the first two weeks. Dylan Gabriel's missed a touchdown pass in three out of four games. Just like one of them, he didn't throw it to Julio Farouk, and then Farouk and Lincoln, Stoops and Nor. Like these things continue to happen. So I think at this point, you have to bake in that Dylan Gabriel's probably going to miss a touchdown pass probably every other game, but it, it's been three out of four games so far. I guess think confidence will be an issue now moving forward, at least at least on the defensive side after what Kansas State did to them. And you got to imagine that after this whole offseason with this staff, with Brent Venables, and we we talked about it the week after the Nebraska game. I can't remember who exactly asked. It came up a few times, the players and, and Brent and stuff, of, of seeing the fruits of their labor. The first three weeks, the tackles for number – or tackles for loss numbers and the sacks numbers and obviously just points allowed, only allowed 30 total points the first three weeks. And then you have that happen on Saturday. Do you guys see that as – I mean, that would be hard to, to get back from that after everything you, you felt like it was different and, and then that happens. you you got to wonder if, if that's going to be the back of – the specifically the defensive side, the back of their minds going into a good TCU offense on Saturday saying maybe we're still bad on this side of the ball. Yeah, I think we've seen – uh, Monday night and Tuesday night, we've seen some body language from the players that would yeah. indicate that that might happen, that there might be a confidence problem. I think what's more telling probably is that Kansas State exposed some things um, in Oklahoma's personnel slash scheme slash preparation, whatever it is, that you better believe TCU is going to look at on film and say, hey, we can do that too. What K-State did to them, we can do the exact same thing. Watch this. Here's how we're going to run our scheme. We're going to isolate this blocker. We're going to, uh, you know, we're going to bring this guy in the gap. We're going to influence this tackler, defensive lineman, see what happens. Because they're susceptible to that, whether it be X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And the thing about that is everybody from this point forward is now going to pounce on that, a weakness, a perceived weakness, a, you know, blood in the water. Um, what Kansas State did and some of the execution that they did in short yardage specifically or on third down specifically, situational. This team or this uh, this conference, this Big 12 conference has evolved into a more physical, bigger, bigger, stronger offensive lineman. Um, certainly a lot of experienced offensive linemen on Oklahoma's schedule that they're going to be facing. All those guys are going to say, yeah, we Baylor, Oklahoma State. Um, TCU, West Virginia, they're all going to look at it and they're all going to say, we can do exactly what they did or at least uh, uh, assimilate it and and try to replicate what they did. So, yeah, Oklahoma's confidence problem is real because that blood in the water, everybody's going to start sniffing around it and uh, other teams are going to try and expose them. Yeah, it'll be interesting because that's something that was a storyline through the spring of the summer, right, is that you inherited a defense, this defensive staff, that – was totally devoid of confidence, it felt like, in a lot of spots. And from guys like Billy Bowman, Key Lord, stuff like that, like rebuilding confidence was something that that staff immediately did in them. So how quickly can they get that thing back up and running? I thought it was – we mentioned that example that Brett Venable said of like cutting in, hey, you've done this play well before. You just didn't do it on Saturday, making that cut. But also Ethan Downs had some really interesting stuff to say. I think he's always really insightful when he comes and talks about like – he likened it to – when you're a kid and you get all these life lessons that your parents tell you over and over and over again and you kind of gloss over and you're like, yeah, dad, whatever. And then you have to go out there and make that mistake at school or you have to make that mistake, right? And so now that you've made that mistake, you sit up and go, 
maybe there's something to this. And then, and then you, you, you sink that in and, and rebuild that again. And so he had that, he had, he had a metaphor about testing that'll be on allseniors.com uh, here Thursday morning that, that I would invite you to go work with that. It shows you the defense is working through some stuff and stuff mentally, as well as just the physical nature of they're not as good as the Clemson defense talent wise physically. Like it's, it's not the personnel that Brent Mendels would have recruited in there as far as like how beefy they are, stuff like that. So they're all dealing with, playing heavier weights, stuff like that. They're going to have to work through all that throughout the season. Going to be interesting. Very looking forward to seeing what happens on Saturday because I don't I don't know. I don't know what I want to do with my game pick this week. Um, I'm going to think about it because it's it's going to be – I don't know. I don't know what to expect on Saturday. Looking forward to it, though, uh, OU and TCU. One last little bit of housekeeping before we get into a full game preview. Brent Venables did say yesterday that the plan as of now is to redshirt Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis, a couple of those highly touted freshman linebackers. Now, this is pretty expected, but also it came up because the linebackers are crazy thin. I mean, you have – who and I talked about it on the press conference wrap yesterday. You have Stutzman and Deshaun White and David Aguebu, these guys who OE fans know very well. Those are your guys. But after that, it's kind of just an abyss. And if those three guys aren't working out, and David Aguebu didn't play particularly well, obviously, on Saturday, the whole defense didn't. But you don't really have anywhere else to turn. And so these young guys being redshirted kind of says is – it lets you know where Brent Medibles feels like they, those guys are right now in their development. also just reinforces that Stutzman, White, Aguebu, like they have to make it work. That's They don't really have any other options, essentially. So it's going to be interesting to see how that – plays out going forward because we all thought linebackers would be a strength and it was I I think in the early part but it it was not on Saturday certainly so seeing how that kind of evolves is going to be you know worth keeping an eye on yeah I think you're right I think Shane Witter has a chance to maybe an opening to to do something yeah Here's, you, you saw him multiple times on Saturday night that uh, guys like Deshaun White, David Aguebu were taking bad angles. One of the reasons you take bad angles is because your feet are stuck in the mud. One of the reasons your feet are stuck in the mud is because you're so tired from playing so many snaps. They faced 86 snaps, I think, on Saturday. And those guys played the vast majority of defensive snaps. So you're taking bad angles because you're, you're stuck in place because your legs are so tired because you've played so many snaps. Shane Witter might have an opportunity to play more. I don't get why Jaron Kanick didn't play more. There's got to be a reason. Maybe the reason is he has no idea what he's doing, as Brent Venable said in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, right? That's got to have something to do with it. But at some point, if your starting backers are all gassed and you've, you're still facing the same scheme, the running quarterback or the read option or the inside zone that they're running, and it's not working, at some point you got to get the backups in there. So, I'll be interested to see. I heard earlier in the week that uh, uh, Justin Harrington has moved from cheetah to safety. So he's back at playing safety, and they're kind of evaluating the value of the cheetah position. In other words, Deshaun White may be moving back to a full-time Sam linebacker, uh, backed up by Jaron Kanick. Might be a full more of a a, nickel versus Sam as opposed to a a hybrid cheetah position. That's going to be interesting to watch as this thing evolves. But yeah, man, why are the linebackers, why did they play so great? And numbers wise, don't get me wrong. I think Aguebu had 15 tackles and I think Deshaun yeah. White had 10, if I'm not mistaken. Numbers wise, they were productive, but that's because they faced so many plays and they were hanging on to the ball carrier at the end of the play, as opposed to getting up and making the tackle like they did the week before at Nebraska. 
Yeah, it's an interesting conversation because, like, on one hand, a guy like Danny Stutzman, remember, he was a rotational player last year who had fought through an injury. This was start number four for Danny Stutzman. So you can understand how a guy like that gets run over by a Kansas State defense. David Aguebu, Deshaun White, like, it's it's put up or shut up time for those guys. And that's coming off of Deshaun White having the best half of football he's played at Oklahoma in Lincoln up until the targeting really. Like that, that is what uh, is so frustrating for Oklahoma fans. I think is that you thought, okay, you're starting to see some signs of development from kind of the older guys. And then it's two steps forward, 30 yards back. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> it keeps going back. I just, I don't know. It's, that game on Saturday was just so surprising, at least to me. It, it really felt like it came mostly out of nowhere. So we'll see how they bounce back on Saturday. That's what we're going to talk about next. Took a timeout. We'll come back. We'll break it down. Oklahoma, TCU on Saturday in Fort Worth. What are we expecting to happen? What does Oklahoma need to do to win the game? All that good stuff coming up next on the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two on this Wednesday afternoon, Oklahoma and TCU this weekend in Fort Worth. We'll break it down, what we're looking forward to, and uh, what we expect to see happen on Saturday with the Sooners and the Frogs. TCU is 3-0 to start the season, start the Sunny Dykes era. They haven't played a Big 12 game yet. Uh, their schedule hasn't been incredible, but they did go into Dallas and beat SMU on uh, Saturday, the return of Sonny Dykes, going back to his old stomping grounds. And, you know, Brent Venables talked about this yesterday, but their offense, again, they haven't played a murderous role by any stretch. Their offense has been very good. They're top 10 in scoring offense and total offense. Can I interest you in that in the first three weeks of the season? So, I mean, it's early. And, you know, like I said, they haven't played amazing opponents just so far, but top 10 is top 10, you know, three weeks into the season, three games in for them. So we'll see what Oklahoma's got. They're going to – it's another challenge for this defense to try and bounce back. Um, some initial thoughts on on TCU and, and what we're going to see on Saturday. I'm going to read some stats to you guys that, are, that will put you to sleep very quickly. Are you ready? Uh, TCU is ninth in the country in points per game, 50th in points allowed. Um, first downs per game, they're 64th. First downs allowed, they're 72nd. Uh, they've run the football well, 21st in the country. 
Uh, they've also stopped the run 29th in the country in rushing defense. Passing yards per game, they're 27th. Passing yards allowed, they're 107th. Okay. Having said all that, wait, I got total offense. Total offense per game, they're ninth in the nation. That's pretty good. 68th on defense. Now, having said all that, why do I bring that up? Their schedule is hot garbage. On fire, smoldering for months. Uh, they played Colorado. Colorado guys might be the worst Power 5 school, Power 5 program right now, or at least this season, Power 5 team We're in the country. Yeah. They are way down there. They're not competitive and they were competitive with TCU for a half. Um, Chandler Morris was the quarterback. He was having a hard time getting first downs. They were having a hard time moving the football. And, uh, you know, eventually Max Duggan came in. There was an injury. Chandler Morris, hope he's okay. Heard he heard today that he uh, has been elevated and he might be available for Saturday against Oklahoma. That's going to be fun. But this was Colorado. Colorado's terrible. Then they played FCS Tarleton State. Tarleton is no good. Tarleton is no good. That is not a game. Then they go across town and they play SMU and they have to make plays at the end of the game to hold on to win 42-34 to win by eight points against SMU. Now they've lost recently to SMU, so that's a step up. But this is something that, that everything, when we say TCU is good at this or TCU is not good at that, everything, everything begins with their schedule and they haven't played anybody. Uh, SMU is the only only team that they've played with a pulse. And they had to survive that one, and they had to pull away at the end uh, from uh, Colorado. So I'm not impressed with their schedule at all. Yeah, Josh, you're going to be on the field. Um, for you, my friend, beware of the weird TCU horn frog train whistle thing, because I think that bad boy will be humming <laughs> all game long. I'm expecting a shootout. I don't know if it'll be a 50-50 to 50 shootout. I don't know if it'll be... Oklahoma wins this game. They win this game what feels kind of comfortably by two scores, and it's still 50-35, to 35, something like that. But points are the avenue for both of these teams, right? Oklahoma's offense has been humming, despite the fact that uh, they go through these entire lulls, big stretches. TCU, we talk about, okay, what just killed Oklahoma quarterback run game? Hello, 2019 Max Duggan, the same Max Duggan, freshman Max Duggan. Uh, ran for over 100 yards against the Oklahoma defense. So he's got that in him. Hasn't hit Oklahoma for that consistently. I think it was about 30 yards and like 19 yards. So it's not been like a Max Duggan wheels are a problem consistently. But he's shown he can do that. Quentin Johnson, he's a bigger bodied guy than Malik Knowles. And Oklahoma did not come close to making a play on a football. Secondary wise, Kendra Miller, he's a, he's a running back that while not Zach Evans, it's still incredibly talented, incredibly productive. Don't know how good anything of TCU's really is, other than like we know those skill position players are good because we've seen them for a couple of years. So for an Oklahoma defense that did literally nothing right on Saturday, it's going to need a big response for that defensive line. But that secondary, it, it was the line that got run over against Kansas State. There's a very real possibility that if the secondary is not up for it, the secondary will be chasing guys all day long, making things, again, easy on Max Duggan, who if, if he's the one that's having to fit stuff into tight windows, stuff like that, you're going to win the football game. The problem is Oklahoma against K-State didn't make Adrian Martinez fit any windows, and that receiving core has the potential to do the same thing to him this weekend if they're not careful. You know, I really like uh, Darius Davis. I watched him um, against Colorado. Kid's unbelievable. He's electric. And Brent Venable said – Number 11, uh, he'll be the fastest player we face all year. He is 
incredible. He is dynamic. He might be the best player on the field Saturday. He leads the team in receptions. He's also the kickoff man and the punt man. So uh, I look forward to seeing that kid play. He's special. Um, something that uh, you mentioned, Ryan, the running game with Kendra Miller, uh, he's only been thrown for a loss this year one time for two yards, 38 carries in three games. So he's averaging about, what is that, 83 yards a game. They haven't exploited his talents yet. He's, I think he's very good. I think he might be one of the top running backs, top three or four running backs in the Big 12 this year. Um, they just haven't had a call to use him yet because they've played such a soft schedule. So he's a guy that could carry the mail. He's a guy that could get 25 carries and, uh, and really, you know, grind down the clock, make, you know, tire out the Oklahoma defense. We, we've talked a million times already this season about one minute possessions for the OU offense. And, and there's, uh, there's the defense back on, on the field. It's funny. It's whether it's a three and out or a touchdown drive, it's like somewhere between 50 seconds and a minute 20. The Oklahoma offense is averaging uh, on their possessions. So if if they get the ball going with um, uh, you know Kendra Miller in, in the in the run game, and then of course Max Duggan, the quarterback you mentioned, it, or if Chandler Morris comes back and they get the running game going with those guys, try to do some of the things that K State did with Adrian Martinez, that could be a really long day for the Oklahoma defense. It feels like we're going to see some points. Uh, on Saturday, I'm not sure what the over/under is set at, but I would lean the over, depending on what it is, because um, TCU does have 61 and a half. 61 and a half was the over/under. I looked it up yesterday. Yeah, I like the over on that. At least, I mean, that's where I would lean right now. Um, I, you know, because TCU, like you guys were saying, they have skill on the outside. Max Duggan has played really well so far, or Chandler Morris, whoever it is. Um, we 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 know Chandler Morris can play a little bit, and Max Duggan can play a little bit as well. We've seen a lot of him. He's been at TCU for, I think, 12 years. So they're going to move the ball. I think they're going to put up some points. Yeah. I just looked I just looked it up. 68 and a half. It's moved up. Oh, wow. That's a big jump. That's a huge jump in the past 24 hours, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people think what I'm thinking. Um, that's <laughs> about kind of where I would land. Now it's a little more 50-50. I still think it has got a good shot to go over that, though. I mean, it, it's – we're, we're going to see up and down. TCU's got skill on the outside, and we'll see. And, you know, I can't help but wonder, too, and we talk about this a lot in the postgame show on Saturday after the Kansas State game, Oklahoma says that they know they're going to get everybody's best shot, and they know they're going to get the game seven, you know, from, from their opponent, all that stuff. They say that, but do they actually practice that when it comes to game day? That was a, a question that we had on Saturday because it didn't seem like it with Kansas State. Similar thing goes for TCU here. For all the reasons that we said, you know, who they haven't played anybody. They let Colorado hang around with them. They let SMU hang around with them. And if you guys remember last year, Oklahoma destroyed TCU last year when they came to Norman. Caleb, that was Caleb Williams' first start, and he had a zillion touchdowns, and it was ugly. Um, they played him by like 30 or whatever it was. And so, you know, you, you wonder, are they going to come in off a loss? Who you think that would help? But you hope that they would come in with that attitude and that edge of this game is losable because if they don't, you could find yourself in another hole and good luck from there. You know, and then, then you're flipping a coin because that's been a big talking point this week too is getting off to a better start. We talked about that a little bit on Saturday night as well. 14 nothing against Kansas State, 7 nothing against Nebraska. Didn't score until almost halftime against Kent State. You can't do that every week. So they need to get off to a better start. And why TCU can score – that's going to put you in a tough spot. So I think, you know, 
them coming in with the right mindset of this game is losable from the jump is going to be really important because if they come in a little, a little lackadaisical from the start, they could find themselves in another hole on the road and good luck from there. Because, I mean, TCU, while it's not it's not Memorial Stadium in Nebraska, it's not Neyland or something, you know, those fans are going to be juiced up for this. They're 3-0. and Oklahoma's coming to town. You get everybody's best home atmosphere when you go on the road. That's the best they got when Oklahoma goes in there. So I imagine the fans will be into it. And we'll see what happens. I mean, a lot of OU fans will make the trip down there. I, I don't doubt that. It's just three hours down the road. But, you know, getting up to a good start and having the right mindset, it feels, is really important uh, if Oklahoma wants to, you know, get out of there with another with a back-in-the-win column. Yeah, um, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I, get, I, I seem to remember that last year's game, 52-31 was the final score. I remember um, it being worse than this that. This was after the Texas game. Um, Oklahoma – jumped out to a big third quarter lead and then kind of the, you know, uh, TCU scored 17 in the, in the third and fourth quarters. Okay. They won comfortably. They won very comfortably, even though it was 40, 52, 31. I could see that score again this year, 52, 31 with Oklahoma being the team that piles on in the fourth quarter, uh, and kind of pulls away. Like it's a competitive game, but the score ends up the same. Does that make sense? Like, uh, less, Yeah, okay, so um, I could see that happening this year where Oklahoma, you know, flexes its muscles a little bit, better schedule, better teams, better better talent, better personnel, but the way the game unfolds, um, the Sooners need, because it's a competitive game, uh, they need to make plays in the fourth quarter. And that's the thing. Have they been ma- Have they been forced to make plays in the fourth quarter of a game yet this year? No. I mean, they have, and it was Kansas State, and it didn't work out. And so that would make me concerned that if it's a close game, if it's 35 all going into the fourth quarter or something like that, 28 or 28, 28, what happens then? This team hasn't really been pushed, tested, asked to respond in the fourth quarter. The one time they had, they failed. Yeah. It'll be interesting. You talk about kind of the mentality, Josh, we heard from Jalil Farouk who said that they came into this season with this like underdog mentality of wanting to show everyone wrong basically from the stuff they'd heard all off season sounds like they got over that Nebraska hurdle blew him out Colin Cowherd said that he's always been in Oklahoma you know uh someone to back up the Oklahoma fans all that stuff turned everybody yeah Yeah. and the team said we've done it we played three games against bad teams and we've proven to everyone that it doesn't matter that Lincoln Valley is not here anymore it sounds like based off like that and uh Key Lawrence saying they have a chip on their shoulder now so that Somehow, some way, it sounds like that became a thing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I, and another thing, too, I don't know if this ties in directly to mentality, but so much has been made about the pre-snap penalties, stuff like that. Oklahoma has shown they can play a clean game on the offensive line. They did it in Lincoln in the loudest atmosphere they'll be in all year long. Now they're going on the road. Right. Is it something that they are, are locked in on? We'll have to see. But it'll also be interesting. Andrew Ray mentioned, I, I was asking him, hey, what's the difference between this TCU defense and what you saw out of TCU last year? And he dropped the buzzwords. It's more of a drop eight defense. So this is going to be another test, right? Kent State did that. The offensive line did not play well. And Jeff Levy said, I was too stubborn trying to establish the run. We knew that coming in, right? If Jeff Levy sees a drop eight defense, he's going to run the football. Okay, now that you have Wanya Morris back, now that you have that confidence, 
This is an interior offensive line that was still getting split a little bit against K-State, a, a really good defensive front, but they found ways to be very effective on the ground. 6.5 yards a carry. Can Oklahoma tighten that up and not shoot themselves in the foot early, both by A, false starts, things like that, but B, they need to come out on the first two or three drives, and they need to look dominant up front, knowing that Jeff Levy's going to run the football. They don't need to have to take two quarters to ease into the game where Jeff Levy has to throw to open up the run game. This should be a scenario where that mentality, they should be able to run over TCU early because of the look they're going to get from the defense. Who've referenced it or referenced, you know, it earlier and, and Ryan, you just kind of did a little bit there. What have you guys thought of the players this week uh, and who wasn't w- there last night talking to the players, but on Monday night and then last night we got Dylan Gabriel and a couple others. How have you guys felt that this has been, it, it's felt weird. For me, like it hasn't been full blown. We're gonna write this wrong. I mean, there's clearly a disgust there. Especially, I remember Deshaun White on Monday night was really he almost like yeah, you could just see he was like squirming almost talking about the game, and they're I think they're a little embarrassed. So I don't know what that translates to on Saturday. I I really don't because. Coming into the year and each week of the season, you felt like there was, like Ryan was saying, that prove everybody wrong mentality and stuff like that. Remember the week of the first game, the UTEP game here in Stutzman, the way he talked about just the excitement to play, and it was like, oh, the, the, these guys are ready. This week, it didn't. It not they're not ready, but this week it was more of a. They're, I think they're a very. I think they're bummed almost with what happened on Saturday. Now, again, I don't know how that translates when they play again. It may bring out the best of them. Or maybe they, you know, like we were talking earlier, they lack some confidence and that hurts them. I, I don't really know. I don't know how that's going to translate. I'm interested to see that. Yeah, body language is big. I'm a big believer in your body language projecting how you perform, how you act, how you interact with other people. And the body language Saturday night, the body language uh, Monday night and uh, Tuesday night from what I saw in the videos you guys sent um, was not great. And frankly, I got to be honest, um, I think we all have a great appreciation for the man that Brent Venables is. I thought Brent was going to come in on Tuesday morning and really project this energetic, hey, guys, what's up? Glad to be here. Let's talk TCU. Can't wait. This is going to be awesome. This team's ready to play. Team 128. He didn't do any of that. And if he's not yeah. doing that with the media in front of all the cameras and microphones, what's he doing behind closed doors with his team? And and are they picking up on that kind of downward kind of vibe that, that Brent, frankly, projected on Tuesday? He was very reserved and muted and um, with not withdrawn. That's probably not a good word, but very, very, um, I don't know, cautious with his commentary. I don't know. I don't know how to sum it up. I don't have enough words in my vocabulary, but... But uh, his body language projected to me that he was really down, really kind of beaten down a little bit or hadn't slept or something. And so what I'm wondering is when you, you're a player, you're Ethan Downs or you're Dylan Gabriel, whoever, you come in, you sit in the meeting room with the team and coach is up there and has this low energy and low voice and we got to get better at this and we got to get better at that and everything's fine and we're going to – I believe in you guys – I expected more energy. I expected more positivity. So maybe that's what we're seeing is a little bit of that trickle down from Brent Venables to, uh, to, to the players. And I will add this, my man, Dave Sittler, when he retired as columnist at the Tulsa world, the best advice he gave me was as the new columnist at the Tulsa world, 
Don't read the comments section. Don't read the replies. You will get eaten up with negativity and you will be beaten down and you will, um, you know, just ignore it. Just don't even just pretend like it's not there. And when the four years I was the columnist there, my wife would bring me stuff and say, look what this guy said. Look what this person said. Look what this woman said. And I'd be like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know it. That affects my, my negativity. That And so when I saw talk to Deshaun White on Monday, I saw someone who was really agitated. And I was like, did he read everybody's, you know, stories that we wrote and watch the podcasts and the videos that we did? Or did he get on social media and have, you know, get the experience of everybody telling him how terrible he was and Deshaun White needs to be replaced and Deshaun White can't play dead and all this stuff, all these social media comments. That's one of the drawbacks of social media is these players in this generation, younger players, get on social media and get that immediate feedback and they immediately get, as I said, Deshaun White, to me, looked agitated to have to be there and answer those questions. So hopefully, you know, the team, the players, they don't take it too personally. Um, people love their OU football. I think that's what uh, generations of OU fans have, have projected. And, and now we're, we're seeing, yeah. we see the good, and we see, obviously, when Saturday night happens, we're seeing the, seeing the bad as well. Yeah, it's interesting you had that feeling coming out of the Venables presser because I thought while well, the words are different right because coming off a loss searching for answers I, like if you remember UTEP week the very first Brent Venables press conference he was very muted very quiet you had gone over and asked like is he okay and he's okay yeah and that's how he's been like there have been moments the Nebraska press conference he was that way until he was asked about OU Nebraska memories and then that's when he got animated but for the most part when we've seen Brent Venables on Saturday night after the game, I thought he still had the same fire and same energy that he had the first three games for a win. He was just frustrated. It was a, it was a, a an annoyance, a frustration, an anger as opposed to happiness and all that stuff. He used the word pissed, right? Right. Totally and so I don't think I saw anything different in Brent Venables other than just he's answering questions after a loss. But when you go player to player, Key Lawrence to me projected confidence. Deshaun White felt like he would have rather been anywhere else. Uh, Jalil Farouk felt like he would have rather been anywhere else than talking to us coming off a loss. Andrew Rame felt projected confidence to me. Ethan Downs wasn't a confidence or two up, two down, but just an understanding of, yeah, we took our lumps, now we got to respond from it. So I think that's kind of indicative of the whole performance was up and down. If you're watching on the YouTube, you saw you know the roller coaster. Like there, there were good and bad kind of slittered all across the field except for maybe the defense, which was mostly bad except for that moment where they had the three straight stops and then where they got to stop coming out of the half. I think that because of how that game went, everyone's kind of responding differently. It's, it's been fascinating to see. really feels like to me, and maybe this is overstating, maybe this is putting too much on it, but it feels like to me this game is going to really – the trajectory of the season it really maybe hinges on this game. If they come back, put out a good effort, and win – you know, sky's the limit again. I mean, Big 12 title and all that stuff is still obviously totally on the table. If they go play another stinker, they lose two in a row going into the Texas game, you might start to lose guys a little bit. And so it's going to be – this is a big game, uh, obviously. Like I said, I think the trajectory of this season might really – we might circle the TCU game as the point where it really went off the rails or the point where they kind of start to ascend, you know, when we get to the end of the year. So – We'll, uh, we'll see. Big game on Saturday. Final thoughts on this game. 
uh, keys for Oklahoma. What do they got to do to win? Um, and what are some thoughts? You don't have to give your game pick yet, obviously, but what are you know what are some thoughts on what's going to happen on Saturday? What does Oklahoma have to do if they want to get out of there? Similar to last week, Malik Knowles busted that 58-yard kickoff return. That saved or pumped some momentum back into Kansas State. Oklahoma never really got it back after that. Um, this is a situation where Darius Davis is a fantastic return man. Uh, you give him a crack, and he's going to take it to the house. So you've got to be almost perfect on kickoff returns. Either kick the thing out of the end zone or do something other than kick it to him at the goal line or the five or whatever. That would be a nightmare scenario. You don't want to have to cover that guy. Um, other than that, I think Oklahoma needs to play the quarterback. Get off their blocks on on the pass rush. Stop leaning on guys. It's like, and we saw this with Alex Grinch with the with the speed D when they were too small to overpower people. Um, you saw guys just go in and lean on a blocker. Okay, he's going to block me. Well, I'm going to impact him. And, well, I couldn't drive him back, so I'll just kind of lean here for a minute while the play goes on. Maybe I'll get my hand up and bat a pass. No, that's not how you do it. You got to get your hands on that guy. You know, push, pull, shove him, knock him back, uh, do a swim move, whatever you got in your arsenal. Oklahoma defensive front needs to get off the blocks better, uh, especially against a team that can carry the football like like TCU. Yeah, I think defensively, on top of all that, which I totally agree with, they need to make Max Duggan be Max Duggan, right? You didn't see that against Adrian Martinez. Like we said, they 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 totally abandoned their rushing lanes and let a guy like Adrian Martinez tuck the ball, go play with confidence. Adrian Martinez was not fitting balls into tight windows. He had wide open tight ends over the middle of the field or underneath balls to Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks. And know you didn't tackle, right? So you need to say, okay, if Max Duggan's going to beat us, he needs to deliver a perfect 60-yard ball over the top. He needs to fit it between a linebacker and a safety coming down over the middle of the field. You've got to take away those windows, tackle, and put them in those situations where they have to make great plays as opposed to just kind of being the the, the, the game manager, you know, the modern game manager for the team until they can, like, Max Duggan can tuck the ball and run. You know what I mean? Like, so just make those guys actually play the quarterback position at a high level as opposed to the – well, if I just get it to Quentin Johnson out here on a five-yard out and he makes two guys miss, then that's a 20-yard pass play where I actually threw the ball three yards down the field. Martinez was averaging 101 yards per game passing. I guess Oklahoma has 240. Yeah. And and dropped a 150 on, in rushing. Like, that guy's not that good. But And he admitted, he said, that that's the best game I've ever played. Yeah, well, congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, not the first time we've heard that about the Oklahoma defense and an opposing quarterback coming in. 1,000% correct. Going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Oklahoma TCU on Saturday morning. All right, today one last time out. We'll come back. We will uh, give you a big recruiting update today. Um, We also will talk a little bit about the Big 12, which is looking crazy deep all of a sudden out of nowhere. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about Sooners in the NFL. Another big weekend for Jalen Hurts. We'll talk about that next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. 
final segment of the All Sinners Podcast, episode 146. Send you on your merry way into your week five weekend. Big recruiting day for Oklahoma today. Now, the timing of this is unfortunate for us. We record our podcast. It's one o'clock right now. David Hicks, the number one defensive lineman in the 23 class from K Texas, he's committing today at 3.30. So by the time you listen to this, he will almost surely have already decided one way or another. So we have to keep it kind of kind of broad in our uh, conversation here. But the fact of the matter is David Hicks is really, really, really good. We talked about him before. Oklahoma's been chasing him. They were really – made a lot of, you know, uh, headway on him in the summer, champion barbecue, stuff like that. Number one defensive lineman, like I said. Number 12 player – or number nine player in the 247 Sports Composite. Number one player in the state of Texas. He's a beast. Um, I mean, you watch his tape. He just pushes people around. He just wreaks havoc. He's what you would think the number one defensive lineman would look like. He dominates, uh, flat out dominates in Texas high school football. So huge jumbo you can get him. I, I think it's between pretty much OU and A&M. He's got seven finalists. Ryan can speak on it better than me. But I think it's pretty much either going to be the Sooners or the Aggies, and we'll see what happens. But obviously a, a massive deal if Oklahoma can get him. So if – if Hicks commits to Oklahoma, Oklahoma's class ranking, according to 24-7 Sports, I dug this up this morning, they're going to climb from number six currently, which is really good, to number two in the country. Number two. They'll have the number two class if they land Hicks. Uh, and, and that's assuming they don't land anybody else. Of course, they're going to land uh, additional talent. Hicks is, uh, Hicks is a uh, – I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because I'm going to give you some names – that uh, people are going to be mad at me for, but it is what it is. It's recruiting, and uh, it's a roll of the dice, okay? So I'll say it this way first. Hicks is a program-changing, culture-changing type of talent. The number one defensive tackle in the country. Who doesn't want the number one defensive tackle in the country? Oklahoma needs to land a guy like this. It's been years since they've gotten one of these. Lately, they've all gone to A&M in Alabama and Georgia, but... Um, the, that's, that's why I get the sense that he's going to go to A&M. Although if you look at everybody's projections and crystal balls and future casts and all that, everybody thinks he's going to Oklahoma. That would be huge for Oklahoma. I don't know what kind of NIL package Oklahoma has available for him that compares to what Texas A&M is apparently allegedly doing. But some of the names that come up when you look at the best players in, in the recruiting rankings era, guys, this is, this is unbelievable. Adrian Peterson is number one. Guess who's number two? We've said this before. Rhett Bomar. <laughs> Sorry. Rhett Bomar is number two. Guess who's number three? Caleb Williams. See where I'm going with this? In the age of the transfer portal, in the age of uh, recruiting rankings, getting David Hicks would be huge, but only if he projects out to a three-year starter and a three-year player and an all a college All-American and stuff like that. Uh, Demarcus Granger's on this list. Jaden Hazelwood's on this list. R.J. Washington's on this list. Spencer Rattler's on this list. Jeremy Calhoun's on this list of top ten ranking uh, ranked Oklahoma recruits. So temper your expectations. Even if Oklahoma gets him, even if Oklahoma lands him, throw a, throw a big party, have a big day, celebrate, but realize that just because you get a commit from the best player at his position in the country, just because he's a five star, just because he's the best player. Uh, coming in in that class, whatever. He's a historically ranked player. 
doesn't mean that he's going to be the next Tommy Harris. You hope for it, and you might pray for it, but uh, doesn't mean it's going to happen. So I, I hate to rain on everybody's parade. I am the wet towel in recruiting rankings, but uh, that's that's just the way it is. Uh, I was going to say the, the flip side of that is that Joe McCoy, Tommy Harris, those guys are also in that list. And while no one's a guarantee, right? Recruiting is an exact, inexact science, but this is why class rankings matter and stars matter and things like that. It's because I, I, even people that are are – the people that make the recruiting rankings, they'll tell you it it's not an exact science, but what is Alabama, Georgia, and then recently Texas A&M, which A&M still has two or three more years of recruiting like they recruited the last two years to enter the stratosphere. If you continue to stack those stars on each other, okay, if one of those guys doesn't pan out, guess what? You've got three other ones who do pan out and no one thinks about it, which is why David Hicks is a massive, massive recruiting win if it goes that way for Oklahoma. You had one of these guys in Gabriel Brownlow-Dindy last year, but do the staffing, changes all that stuff, didn't pan out. He signs with A&M. You got to get him on campus, but when you look at it, this is like the crown jewel, all that, whatever you want to call the cherry on top, but it's not the only hope for Oklahoma. When you look at who they have recruited right now, P.J. Adebore, a guy that's earned a fifth star in the 247 composite edge rusher. You've got a Colton Vasek. You've got a Derek LeBlanc. Like, that is what you have to do. And if you go into, uh, you know, at 11, we post our preview. Um, like, you go in and look through the names. Okay, then you've got, okay, in the secondary, Makari Vickers and Jacoby Johnson and Josiah Wagner, all high four-star on three may have them a little bit different, maybe a little higher stuff like that. You have to stack all those guys together that way. Okay, not everyone's going to pan out. You're going to have some surprises. If your surprises come from four stars, then your surprises are guys that you thought would be good players that end up being first-round draft picks, right? The, the guys that don't pan out, okay, well, guess what? You've got another five-star edge rusher in this class in PGA Adewore if it's not David Hicks. So that is what's so important, and I think that you should always be celebrating uh, a guy the caliber of this, because that's what Oklahoma's lacked. When you've looked at Oklahoma in the college football playoff, they there's not any Quentin Nelsons, right? There's not any Cleveland Farrells, guys like that that are that are lining up uh, to to rush opposing passers. You've had those guys on offense, the equivalent of those guys. You've never been close to having guys that have that caliber on defense, much less eleven of them. Oklahoma can't win a national championship without guys like David Hicks. I'm, right. I'm just saying that right now. Uh, yeah. Adebore, um, all those guys that you mentioned, Colton Vasek is, an, is another one. Those are special, as I said, program-changing, culture-changing talents. Who's been getting them all lately? Alabama, obviously. Clemson, obviously. And now Texas A&M's getting them. Uh, I don't see any national championships coming out of College Station. Lately, Georgia obviously got a bunch of them. Well, you're right. So you cannot – all those t- programs, except for A&M at this point, have won national championships and have done so in dominating fashion. They've owned the line of scrimmage. You have to get this guy if you have a design on winning the national championship. If, if Oklahoma is ever going to win a national title, it's going to be in the SEC, and it's going to be with players like David Hicks. Big time. I mean, huge get. We talked about him in the summer whenever it was rumored that they were making a big push for him. So, you know, he's been on our radar here for a while. So he makes a decision today. At 3.30, again, if you're listening to this or watching YouTube, it's almost certainly after he's already announced. So go to allstars.com to read about his decision one way or another, watch some tape on him. 
and uh, see what Oklahoma is getting or, I guess, <laughs> miss out on, depending on uh, how that goes at 3.30 today. Uh, going to be interesting. We're going to be glued in. That's for sure. He's committing on ESPN2, which you don't get that very often. So I'll let you know where he is as far as stature. Um, going to be interesting. Going to be fun. Going to be a big day. I know you Twitter one way or another uh, here coming up in just a couple hours from now. Looking at the Big 12, we talked about last week. It was another big week for the conference, and they passed the test again. This conference is sneaky really deep. I don't know how this happened all of a sudden, but Kansas beat Duke. So they're 4-0. West Virginia went into Blacksburg and hammered Virginia Tech. I still think they're probably the worst team in the conference, but, I mean, you go into Blacksburg and just hammer Virginia Tech when you're the worst team in the conference. That's, that's pretty good for your league. Baylor beats Iowa State in Ames. TCU, like we said earlier, beat SMU in Dallas. Right now it feels like all 10 teams can beat any of the other nine. Like it, it is wide open. Like looking at the slate this weekend, all five games are coin flips to me. OUTCU, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas, West Virginia, Texas. Those all could go either way. This conference is wide open right now. It's going to be a mess by the time we get get to December. All five games last week, Josh, were one-score games. All five Big 12 games were one-score games. That could happen again this week. That could happen every week once they get into conference play every week. So uh, I'm, I'm with you. I've said it before. I've said it on my radio show a number of times. Who's the best team in this conference? We don't know. Who's the worst team in this conference? We don't know. What we see are a bunch of threes and fours and fives and sixes. You know, who's the third best? Well, there's, it's a it's kind of a three-way tie, right, or a four-way tie. Uh, West Virginia, I'm agreeing with you that they're probably 10th. I think I had them 10th in my power rankings this, this week. They should have beaten Pittsburgh in the season opener. They should have beaten Pittsburgh. Ball goes through a guy's hand as a return for a pick six. Otherwise, they have a real shot to win that game at the end. Um, that's your 10th worst team? This this conference um, is pretty good. Yeah, because I mean, lost in that too is, okay, so Pitt played Pitt, Kansas, Virginia Tech, and then a scrub, West Virginia has, right? Kansas, who is 4-0, and you wouldn't be taking that away from, any, from them anyway, but it's not like they – uh, played three FCS schools and then snuck by one Big 12 game, right? It's you go in, you you beat Virginia or West Virginia, excuse me, on the road. Tennessee Tech, congrats, won a cookie. But a Houston team, a Duke team, like those are three legitimate opponents that Kansas has played and won. Uh, we'll find out a lot about OSU, who has just looked in cruise control through their non-conference right this week as they head down to Waco. You have a Baylor team that, Drop on the BYU and responds. You had Iowa State that while they looked a step below Baylor, looked frisky, right, as far as a a team that outside of Xavier Hutchinson and Will McDonald has had to replace basically everybody else as far as the major contributors from last year. Like, I don't know where you go with this conference other than buckle up. And if you're Oklahoma, you can't have any of that not believing the game seven, anyone can beat you thing. If that happens again and again and again, Oklahoma's going to look up and be eight and four at the end of the year. Yeah. When the season started and obviously we talked about the schedule and I was saying how I love the way the schedule lined up because all the good big 12 teams in theory are at home. Well, I mean, Texas Tech just beat Texas and Lubbock, you know, West Virginia. I still don't think West Virginia is very good, but they've at least shown that they have a pulse. They're, they're alive over there. And you go to, to Morgantown in November, you got to go to Ames. I mean, it, 
there's not a lot of, you know, I'm looking now, it, it's, I'm totally changed my tune. I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but you know, look at it and there doesn't really feel like there's that many gimmies on the schedule anymore. Even Kansas, the way they're playing and what Jalen Daniels is doing. I mean, he's a problem right now. I mean, he comes into Norman this past weekend, after what Adrian Martinez just did, they've been rough. So, man, what a conference. Uh, this is, And this is kind of preparing Oklahoma a little bit for the move to the SEC in ju- in terms of there's no gimmies in that league. Every week is going to be a grind, and that's how this year is for the Big 12. It's going to be a mess, and I think the Big 12 is probably going to end up being a victim of it in the end because probably nobody will make the playoff because everybody will beat up on each other, and everybody's going to have two losses by the time we get to the end. So we'll see, but it's a, it's a really entertaining league all of a sudden this year. Look forward to seeing in the last year of this iteration of the Big 12, it's going out with a bang, so it's going to be uh, fun to see how this all shakes out. I mean, this this doesn't stick to the script, but I want to ask you guys: How much is Lincoln Riley conferring with his brother this week, offensive coordinator Garrett Riley from TCU? Uh, well, I mean, based off of uh, Garrett Riley not being able to get a job on Lincoln's staff, do, are they conferring? <laughs> uh, do they normally confer? Because that that was always a very weird storyline. Like when Oklahoma and Kansas played that year and, and Lincoln looked very uncomfortable talking about Garrett Riley. Yeah, that's a, that was at Kansas and that was a Kansas team that absolutely was dreadful. But uh, I think he's getting some career advice from his parents and his mentors. Don't hire your brother, let him prove himself first, then hire him. And that's what uh, Garrett's trying to do right now at TCU. They're putting up some good numbers. Like I said, they haven't played anybody, but man, you know OU fans don't want to lose to Garrett Riley this week. Definitely not. Definitely not. And, yeah, I mean, as far as going back to Kansas, I mean, is Nebraska paying attention? Are they alive? Because Lance Leopold or Chris Kleiman, you need to just make them move one state up. Those are the guys that they need to get, uh, one of the two. And we'll see what they end up doing. But Lance Leopold, he's like coach of the year already. Like, lock it in. They're 4-0. Kansas. It's crazy. Uh they're 4 and 0 and I was doing this exercise because I actually think that the TV networks have done a very good job of being disciplined and not throwing Heisman trophy crap in our face through uh September but in my head I was like okay if I were to build a Heisman just quarterback watch list not not everyone across the country but just like the quarterbacks that have played up to that level I was trying to think nationally what would the cutoff be like where do you stop and I was like okay Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, those guys have played really well. Hinden Hooker at Tennessee's been awesome, right? Michael Penix Jr. out, out at Washington's been awesome. I left Caleb Williams off that list because he really struggled against Oregon State. There's two more guys. Spencer Sanders, makes sense. And Jalen Daniels, like two of the six in my mind. And if, I could be missing someone from across the country, but two of the six Big 12 quarterbacks, one of them being a Kansas quarterback. What? <laughs> Come again? Pretty insane. Maybe Stetson Bennett, just because he's he's put up yeah. some big numbers. But yeah, I mean Jalen Daniels has been right. He is a problem. So I'm excited to see him in person here in a, a few weeks uh in, in Norman, Kansas. Not a pushover anymore by any stretch. Uh Lance Leopold, unbelievable job. Looking at the NFL to wrap up. Um Jalen Hurts is balling. I don't know what's going on. We talked about this a little bit last week, but and it's three weeks. The season's a lot longer than that. It's 18 weeks. But if you gave an MVP out right now, it, it's probably Jalen Hurts, which is outrageous. So far this year, and I, I sent this stat to you guys because it's just mind-blowing, 916 passing yards, 
167 rushing yards. He's the only player in league history to have 900 passing yards and 150 rushing yards in the first three games of a season. Only guy ever. That's insane. He's balling out. The Eagles look like they're legit contenders. I mean, Jalen Hurts, what can you say? I mean, even the biggest OU homers didn't really see Jalen Hurts being this in the NFL. And he's a legitimate starter. And like I said, probably the MVP of the league right now. Again, three weeks in, but it's unbelievable. Yeah, I'd say he might be in the conversation for front runner for the MVP. Uh, it's it's shocking. Shocking. <laughs> it it is. just is. Uh, of, of Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts in success consecutive years, he, if if you said who would be the best and who would be the worst, I would have said Kyler Murray will be the best, and I would have said Jalen Hurts will be the worst. Here we are, three years into this thing, and Jalen is is uh, he's at the top of the list. Uh, how did that happen? He works harder than anybody. Uh, he's serious about his craft. He doesn't goof around. Um, he doesn't delete his Instagram posts, and he doesn't uh, make commercials, you know, for progressive, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not knocking those guys. I'm just saying there are things happening in their lives. In addition to football, what is it that defines Jalen hurts football? That's all he cares about. And Robot. You've seen the the progression. You've seen the improvements. It's been shocking and congratulations. Shocking because of what we per- perceive Jalen hurts to be. And he's evolved beyond that. So that's part is not shocking. The fact that he's worked in, and evolved his game to look like an NFL quarterback. That part's not shocking. Yeah. It's uh, it's stunning that uh, the two quarterbacks evolved, right? In the very famous national championship game, Tua and Jalen are the two three and quarterbacks in the league right now. And coming, coming out of that game and into that off season, if anyone had told you that they would have said, what? Like yeah. we, can see, we can see it with Tua and Jalen Hurts just got benched. Cause like Alabama couldn't throw the ball forward and, and to come here, to, to I think it's a credit to him to put himself in a very different offense, right? Coming to Oklahoma, not afraid of that, of that, you know, hey, you're not going to be the the run first guy, all that, to go through those growing pains. It wasn't perfect, all that stuff, to continue to grow into the NFL. It's just very impressive because he's continued to take those steps up as the competition's got much harder, as what's been asked of him has gotten much harder. Yeah, definitely. That That's Lincoln Riley's biggest recruiting thing that he's got going right now is did you see Jalen Hurts Alabama he got benched and was essentially a running back playing quarterback and now look at him after one year at Oklahoma reinvented him Heisman runner up he had no NFL future before that OU season so it's really I mean anybody can make Kyler Murray good that guy's insane (laughs) Baker you know obviously is Baker and and his drive and all that's been well documented and him coming he actually committed to play for Bob first and stuff like that but Lincoln's got to be circling Jalen Hurts like, look what I did with this guy because it, it really is insane what he what he's doing. And we'll see if he can keep it up and if uh, the Eagles can continue to roll the way they have. They look they look great right now. So we'll see how that shakes out. All right, I think that's it. That's it for us. We'll be in Fort Worth this weekend. The Alzheimer's crew will be heading down south and coming back for a few days and then going back south again for OU Texas game the following weekend. I swear those are always stacked on top of each other. Um, I, I, it's burning my brain that it is. So, uh, we'll be heading down there two weekends in a row. Looking forward to it this weekend. No clue what's going to happen in this game, but I'm excited for it. AMG Carter stadium, and we'll have all the coverage for you on all Lots of preview to this game leading up to Saturday. And then of course, Saturday morning, stick with us all throughout game day. We'll have all the reaction recaps, 
everything you could want on Saturday after the Sooners take on the Frogs down in Fort Worth. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure and catch our post-game show. We'll record it at AMG Carter Stadium on Saturday after the game. You can look at that one. Why is Hoov laughing? Hopefully they don't kick us out, lock us in, <laughs> take us away. It's going to be late. Even though it's an 11 a.m. kickoff, it's going to be late. The Nebraska one was like about 8-ish, <laughs> which is absurd uh, when you think about it. But uh, we'll, we'll try and get on it a little bit. Nebraska – Nebraska, it wasn't that. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, we we were leaving by about 7.15, 7.30 in Lincoln. Uh, I think the security people all looked at us very sideways this past Saturday. They're like, people are still in the building? It's 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's Really, we're at the mercy of what is the Wi-Fi situation at Amogee Carter. Because if the Wi-Fi is good, that helps us tremendously. If it's not... It slows the process down a lot, so uh, we'll see. But we're going to record the postgame show Saturday night, Am G. Carter. Be sure to keep a lookout for that. Of course, you can listen to that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon able to fly, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, of course, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer, and you can watch all the podcasts on Hoover's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. Like, comment, subscribe, all that YouTube stuff that people say. Do it. It helps us out and uh, keeps the podcast churning. So there you have it. That's it for us for now. We'll see you Saturday in Fort Worth. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.